0: This is the Cater Daily Podcast for Tuesday, October 23rd, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. Republicans once claimed to stand for free trade, a welcoming posture toward immigrants and low spending. The policies of the de facto leader of today's GOP openly rejects these ideas, and yet a Republican-led Congress has acquiesced. So do they deserve to get walloped in the upcoming election? Outgoing South Carolina Republican Congressman Mark Sanford spoke with me on Friday. I read recently that uh, the president has demanded five uh, percent spending cuts from each of his agencies, which seems odd when those agencies don't really control the purse strings. Why is Congress so uh, acquiescent when it comes to massive spending?
1: Congress is acquiescent on spending because that's the nature of Congress. Um, uh, a dollar that comes into Washington is going to get spent, period. It's just a question of 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 where. And um, so I think that, you know, you have sort of an unholy alliance between a Congress that, uh, that by its very nature has a bias towards spending more, uh, an absence of, of leadership at the presidential level. I admire the fact that the president would say, hey, let, let's look at our agencies and let's look at how we trim down by 5%. But those are pennies on the dollars uh, because if you look at at the real spending problem that we have as a country, it's tied to entitlement spending, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security and interest. And... um, and so, it's the 80-20 rule of life. And 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 what the, the administration has said, what the president has said, is we're not going to touch entitlements, uh, but here, let's come up with 5% cuts on these areas of domestic discretionary. So, it, it's nice, but it's symbolic. And then the third part of, of, of what I think suggests that we have a profound problem with regard to spending in Washington is the fact that there really hasn't been leadership on this subject. And and so uh, the you know it requires presidential leadership. If you go back to the bowles Simpson Commission, you look at a lot of different commissions, which have been fundamentally punts by both the Congress and the executive branch. What people said, well, we'll get this commission to look at it; they'll come up with some. But but fundamentally, in Washington, uh, it compared to any other time that I've seen over my you know twenty plus years involved in in public policy. I see less attention and less conversation about debt deficit and government spending than at any other point in in my time in 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 uh, political life. So
0: I have heard that uh, when somebody talks about cutting spending in Congress, the uh, atypical response or I should say not atypical response is, well, uh, are interest rates going up? And that seems to be what uh, what will be the thing. the only thing possibly to trigger any kind of substantive evaluation
1: of spending priorities in Congress. I I agree with that. I mean, you know, Roosevelt uh, was once credited with saying, you know, the beauty of the American political system is that it always does the right thing, comma, after it's exhausted every other possible remedy. And I think this holds true particularly with regard to spending. I think it's tragically going to take a burning platform uh, to create the kind of change that, that I think is necessary to really bend the spending trajectory that we're on right now. Uh, I think that that's going to be incredibly painful for a lot of, of people across this country in terms of future interest rates, in terms of the value of the dollar, ultimately in terms of the American way of life. But that's the storm that's coming, given the way that everybody in Washington seems to be punting on this issue. And I I, I can't say everybody. I got to single out people like Justin Amash and a handful of others that I think really have walked the walk. But there's surprisingly few walking the walk on spending in Washington these de- these days. Uh, Nobel Peace Laureate Barack Obama sure did
0: order the killing of a lot of people, some of whom were American citizens in countries that we weren't officially fighting. Uh, he dropped a lot of bombs in in 2016 at least he dropped 26,000 bombs many of those were in countries that we weren't officially fighting and nothing has changed uh since then with respect to war powers and uh, you know i have this vain hope i suppose that uh that leaders of the left and right will get together and decide that, yes, in fact, James Madison was correct and that the powers to conduct war ought to be fully vested in Congress.
1: Yeah, I mean, the founding fathers were crystal clear. They knew that body bags don't come back to Washington, D.C. They come back to congressional districts across this country. And as a consequence, they were absolutely uh, deliberate in being uh, very clearly uh, stating that uh, war powers rested in the Congress. Is there any uh, appetite or any move
0: to try to restrict war powers at this time?
1: Not really. And and so, again, I'd single out some uh, heroes, uh, the Justin Amashas, the Tom Ma- Thomas Masseys, and Walter Jones of the world on the Republican side. And they, frankly, there are an equal number of Democrats as well um, that have worked hard on this. But, again, it's not in vogue. And... Um, And I I think that it's another example of the way in which Congress has ceded too much power and authority uh, to the executive branch, too much power and authority to the courts, because at times they haven't wanted to deal with prickly issues, and the issue of death and war is a prickly issue. Uh,
0: Trade is another prickly issue, and uh, there seems to be no end to the tariff hikes that this administration is willing to uh, put out there on countries that, frankly, we should have uh, powerful trading relationships with, including Canada and Mexico. So uh, despite the fact that we have a new trade agreement with Canada and Mexico, it's not great. Is there, is there any hope that you see in the near term on uh, getting back to some normalcy and some regularity with respect to trade?
1: Not with this administration. I've been outspoken in my criticism of this administration on the trade front. I mean the idea that Canada is somehow a strategic threat, therefore we're going to slap steel tariffs on them is just bizarre. Um, But but what you see is an administration that's prided itself on deregulation enacting more regulation because tariffs, not only are they taxes – But their regulation. It is government control of the flow of goods and services rather than the free market and Adam Smith's invisible hand. And so I I just think it's it's troubling at a variety of different levels in terms of the message it sends to allies, in terms of the increasing regulation and power of a federal government over each one of our lives, uh, and obviously the consequence which is higher cost for all of us? Which is again the tax part that everybody leaves out. But if you talk to you know uh, Leidinger and you talk to you know other folks in the administration, they are locked down on on their position. I think it's a mistaken one, but it is where they are. All right. So what do you
0: what do you expect to happen in these uh, midterm elections in November?
1: I don't really have a crystal ball. Um, I mean, certainly the conventional wisdom is that uh, Republicans will lose. More than a fair number of seats in the House side, should they? Uh, uh, I mean, yeah, be, I mean, let's be real I, 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 here. Yeah, let's should be real. Republicans
0: yeah. lose a bunch of seats?
1: I, I wouldn't say they should, but what I'd say is it's certainly the natural order of things for the party in power. But I would say uh, we've squandered some opportunities, particularly on the spending front. I mean, Paul Ryan, to his credit, was a budget hawk and a budget expert going into the speakership. I I, I wish that he had been able to push more of the the budget and spending issue than uh, I think was the case. And as a consequence, it was a squandered opportunity by Republicans. And I think that there are a number of other fronts wherein we've been acquiescent uh, to the administration, though it has wandered off on populist fronts, not liberty-based fronts, that ultimately limit the size and scope of the federal government and its authority over each one of our lives. So maybe you uh, know that rep- Republicans deserve to lose those seats, but maybe they won't. I'm not saying that. I'm going to leave it to 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 uh, uh, the the good Lord and the voters out there decide what's going to happen next in terms of each individual all right. so district.
0: You've been an uh, outspoken uh, person on behalf of allowing Americans to travel to Cuba. Uh, Jeff Flake has said. Uh, I think I recall him saying something effective, "If somebody's going to keep me out of a country, it' better be a communist." And, uh, but you know, we have lots of people who want to come to the United States. The president has treated uh, immigration specifically as an issue uh, that I don't know. I guess it's, a, it's like he treats trade, a zero-sum game. That is, uh, people who come to this country are net costs. They are not net benefits.
1: Yeah, you, have, I mean, I, again, I'm a free trader, so I believe in the free flow of capital, and I believe ultimately in the free flow of labor within the confines of law. And so I think that the president has been right in saying we ought to know who's here and why they're here. We ought to have a real accounting on that front. You can't have an open border. It ought to be a regulated border. But we had a program called the Visero Program back from 1946 to 1964 that allowed immigrant labor to come in, work on uh, produce fields, and and then they went home. They didn't have American citizenship. They added to the workforce, uh, but ultimately labor union shut them down. And so so you know the the irony here is that we have this this sort of no man's land in the immigration debate, wherein it's sort of all or nothing. But I think the fact is, what would work with our economy, what would work in again maximizing American liberty, would be to say, wait, we're going to very much constrict uh, citizenship to a merit based system, much like what you see in Canada or what you what you see in Australia. Uh, But uh, on the temporary workforce, we're going to actually open up the the, the pipe. But, But that does not seem to be the compromise ground that we're on right now. And so it's constriction of both. And I think it ultimately will prove problematic in terms of basic needs that have to get done in our country. The Republican switch
0: on their opinions with respect to trade, with respect to immigration, with respect to their opinion of Vladimir Putin, for example, have have all shifted dramatically just in the last few years. Were those always fairly weakly held positions? Should I not take Republicans very seriously when they say they stand for the rule of law and free trade and low spending and taxes?
1: No, but you should recognize that the 80-20 rule exists in politics, which is... Twenty percent of the folks drive most of the debates, and that's from the left and from the right, where people have strongly held and articulated positions that they vehemently try and advance. But the middle of the bell curve is just the middle of the bell curve, and the, and 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 it's true in a political body just as it's true in in any other large grouping of folks, and they're followers. And there are a lot of followers in Congress that, that, frankly, just want to have a good day, and they don't want the president tweeting against them. And if the president is this outspoken, and he's certainly got a strong personality about issue X, Y, and Z, I think I'll just be quiet. But quiet in this sense is deadly, because some of what the president has proposed is 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 is, is, is in some cases crazy, and in some cases dumb, and in some cases, uh, I think dangerous to the notion of preserving American liberty or expanding it. And so I think that, you know, all of us, it's incumbent upon all of us, dem- democracy is not a spectator sport, for all of us to make our voices heard on the importance of of dollars staying in our pocketbook or wallet as the case might be, and uh, adherence to some of the institutions that have served our country awfully, awfully well um, uh, because that notion of checks and balances was part and parcel to what the Founding Fathers set up.
0: Mark Sanford is a Republican representing the 1st Congressional District in South Carolina. We spoke Friday. Please take a moment to rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Cato
1: Podcast.